0: Today we're gonna to talk about Unity, um, but I'd like to start off talking about, uh, go ahead and put that first one up. I'd like to start off by talking about my, my Camry, um, if I can. So this is a, a picture of the dashboard of my Camry here. Um, you'll notice a few things about my Camry here. you notice this was uh, obviously not yesterday because it says 37 degrees and it was like 50 degrees yesterday, um, but you'll notice I've got 277,648 miles on this Camry. I have a few more miles because this was taken a few, uh, few weeks ago here. Um, you'll notice some, uh, some other things uh, about my, my Camry here. Um, you'll notice that uh, I have a light at the top that, listen, I wasn't driving at the time, okay? The red light on the side, okay? I was just sitting there. I don't write, routinely take pictures while I'm driving, Um, So I did not have my seatbelt on, but I just took the picture. Um, But you'll notice the light at the top. Who knows what the light at the top means? Tire Tire pressure, right? We live in northeast Pennsylvania. It's 37 degrees. Um, When you buy the cheapest tires possible, uh, your tire pressure light comes on when it gets a little cold. Uh, How about this light over here on the the other side? What's that one? Maintenance required. You need an oil change. Now, guys, I got to be honest with you. I'm not that great about, uh, about routinely changing the oil on time, okay? I definitely do it, all right? I change the oil in my car. I get it changed in my car. I don't do it myself because I don't know how. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I don't change it myself, but I do take it in to get changed. And that's one of the reasons that a car goes for over 250,000 miles, is you need to regularly maintain it. Another reason that it can go for 250,000 miles um, is, uh, and I'm going to be honest with you and I'm going to be a little biased, it's because it's a Toyota. Um, and it was, it was designed well. Um, you know, the designer of this vehicle had a specific uh, plan in place for, for this vehicle and it was supposed to run in a specific manner. And by God's grace, uh, my dad had it for years and then handed it down to me But the only thing that has gone wrong in this car in 277,000 miles is two or three years ago the alternator went in the vehicle. That's it, original engine, original transmission. You do tires, you do brakes, you do struts, you do things like that maintaining the vehicle. But if it's designed well and maintained well, you're going to have a good vehicle on your hands. Um, You need to routinely do the maintenance that is required on a vehicle in order to make it last, in order to make it useful and effective. Our big idea for today, you can put that one up there. Our big idea is that Christ provides the gifts necessary to perform the maintenance required for the church to be fully equipped and unified. Now church, I'm going to be honest with you, we could have... uh, we could have just had our service here with, with the songs that we sung, especially Josiah, that, that other song, the new song that we sung. Where are you, Josiah? That new song? Okay, it was, that was my sermon. Um, but, you know, we could, have, we could have sang, we could have heard a beautiful prayer, we heard a ton of scripture read already. Um, we could have just finished and been like, all right, that was a great service. Let's all go home and enjoy the Super Bowl. Um, but. Uh, we are going to go through um, Ephesians chapter 4 here, and what we are going to see is that Christ does provide us what we need in order to routinely maintain the body of Christ. It may not necessarily be in the way that the world sees that maintenance is, is done here, um, and I think that's a good thing uh, for us to see. So turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4 in verse 1. Ephesians chapter 4 in verse 1. Paul's writing to the church of Ephesus here and he says, Therefore, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the, worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So Paul starts off here and uh, there's some things that we need to know about Paul at this point because he says a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Uh, we, we hear that term prisoner of Jesus Christ and we're like, man, it really sounds like Paul loves to, loves to serve Jesus, you know, calling himself a, a prisoner of Christ. But that's not what he means there, okay? If we look back in the book of Acts uh, and we'll get there in our study here, in Acts chapter 19 we find that Paul was in Ephesus Paul spoke to these people. He labored with these people. He worked through some issues with these people here. And now Paul, after he left Ephesus, finds himself in jail. And his first encouragement here at the beginning of chapter 4 is for these Ephesians to walk in a manner worthy. I think all of us have to ask a question. If Paul were here today... We might go like this, Paul, were you walking in a manner worthy after you left Ephesus? I think Paul would answer, yes. I think everything that we know about Paul would cause us to answer the word, yes. And we would say, what is your reward, Paul, for walking worthy? I'm in jail. Great. Awesome. Awesome. I want to walk in a manner worthy. I want to wind up in jail. I mean, think about all of the things that Paul could say here. Paul could turn to God and say, God, listen, you were doing such great things with me and then you decided to put me in jail? Like, God, like, this is, this is counterproductive, okay? Uh, you want me working out there. You want me, you want me with the people here, okay? That's, that's what you want, God. Look at, look at my life. Look at what you've accomplished through me. Use me, God. And Paul says, walk in a manner worthy. I, a prisoner for Jesus Christ. The other thing we notice about Paul here, even though he's in jail, Paul doesn't sit on the sideline, does he? No, Paul's writing. He's doing everything he can to continue to build up the body of Christ. Why? Because that's what he was called to do. So he says here, he says, Therefore, I, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling for which you have been called. Paul says to the, to the Ephesians here, listen, my calling Right now was to go to the Gentiles. I came to the Gentiles. My calling was to, to do X, y and Z. And guess what? Now my calling is to be in prison. But I'm still going to walk in a manner worthy of my calling. Turn with me, uh, yeah, turn with me to Ephesians uh, chapter um, where are we at? Go to the next slide. I'll tell you where we're at. Yeah, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13 and and 16 here. Guys, what we're going to do, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 13 through 16. What we're going to do is we're going to look at the whole book of Ephesians here. Not the whole book in in general, but uh, several passages in Ephesians here that lead up to chapter 4. Trying to figure out exactly what Paul is trying to communicate to these Ephesians. But in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 13 through 16, it says, But now in Christ Jesus... You who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law and the commandments expressed in the ordinances, that he might create himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God um, in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. You see, Paul's talking about this calling that he had. And he said, listen, as a Jew, remember, Paul was a Jew. He says, as a Jew, I was called to the Gentiles. Now, in Ephesus right now, there's there's two groups of people. There's Jews and there's Gentiles. And guess what? They don't like each other. As a matter of fact, they hate each other. Okay, this isn't just, you know, oh, I'm rooting for the 49ers today and and I'm rooting for the Chiefs today. This isn't, you know, hey, uh, I'm, you know, Irish and, and you're Italian or whatever. Like this is brutal war hostility. These people have turned their backs on each other. These people want nothing to do with each other. And what Paul says is, listen, my calling here was to bring the gospel. And when I brought the gospel to you guys in Ephesus here, there was a reconciliation and a union between these two people that absolutely hated each other. They hated each other. We'll talk about more about this in a second here. But what Paul is going to do, and he's going to talk about this idea of of reconciliation, but he's going to talk about the change that happens in the hearts of the Ephesians here. And and he continues on. Uh, Go back to uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 2. It says, With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Paul says, listen, When the gospel came to you, Ephesians here, okay, my calling was to come to you guys. Your calling now, that you are one in Christ, that you are united here, is that you are with all humility, gentleness, patience, love, maintain the unity of the Spirit. See, what Paul does here is he starts to list the fruits of the Spirit, right? Right? You guys have seen the commercial uh, for Dunkin' Donuts? America runs on Dunkin'. Well, here, here's our first point, guys. Right here. Go ahead, put it up there. First point. That's, all right, we'll, we'll tell you what There it is. The body of Christ runs on the fruits of the Spirit. This is what Paul is saying. He's saying, listen, guys, I've been called to you, but this is what you have been called to to each other here. That with all humility... Humility, gentleness, patience, patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. This is how we relate to one another. What does this practically look like in our lives? What Paul is saying is, listen, guys, if the, if the hostility that once existed between the Jews and the Gentiles over here if the hostility that existed between two people, two people groups once existed here was reconciled in this idea of the gospel, we need to look at the bigger picture here. And what Paul is saying is, listen, that hostility was so small in comparison to the hostility that we once had with God that God overcame that hostility that existed once between man and God, the separation that sin created. God reconciled both of those together in Jesus Christ. What's harder to do, to reconcile God to man or man to man? And what he's saying is we've done both here in one, in one fell swoop here. We have accomplished both. Both. God has been reconciled to man, and now man can be reconciled to man in unity, inside the body of Christ. What Paul's going to do is he's going to build this great picture here of the body of Christ and how it is supposed to be unified. But what Paul says is, listen, the only way for unity to happen is for the church to run on the gifts of the Spirit. Um, many of you know, some of you know, um, I have some joint issues, okay? Um, I, am not, uh, I am not the healthiest individual uh, in our congregation. I don't eat the healthiest by far. Um, if you invite me to your house, you ask me, you know, are you gluten-free, are you this, are you that? I usually say, I'm vegetable-free. Um, I don't want to eat a vegetable to save my life. Um, but I, had, uh, I have arthritis in both of my knees, Okay, I got shots in both of my knees. I got cortisone shots. I'll never get a cortisone shot again. Um, I get these gel shots in my knees, like it's like this artificial gel, and it really helps my knees to operate in a in a good manner here. But there's one thing that I found that helps beyond anything else, and this is going to sound crazy. The only thing that helps my joints stay lubricated is this, not Fiji water, Okay, I'm, not, I'm not, not this particular brand, but water, 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 and more water. This helps my joints to stay lubricated, it helps my joints to, to actually function the way that they are, to the point where it's been about two years since I've had a gel shot in my knees. Um, I'm operating because I'm staying well hydrated. I'm maintaining my body here. And what Paul says is, listen, if you do the routine maintenance here, if the Spirit is ruling your life, if the fruits of the Spirit are overflowing out of your heart, if this transformed heart here, the proper heart condition of a believer, if it exists in your life, then the body will be unified through the power of the Holy Spirit. This is Paul's encouragement to the Ephesians. Walk in a manner worthy of your calling. Rely on the gifts of the Spirit because God's given them to you. Remember our big idea here, guys. Remember our big idea that Christ provides the gifts necessary to do the maintenance required for the church to be fully equipped and unified. Guys, we're talking about the book of Acts right now. What did Pastor say last week? that Jesus promised that we would be given power. That power exists in the Holy Spirit. Why were we given power? To be his witnesses. He says, you will be my witnesses. When outsiders look at the church body and they see discord, they see dividing, they see hostility that exists, they don't see Christ They should see Jesus Christ. The body of Christ needs to run on the fruits of the Spirit. We need to humble ourselves before one another, be gentle and patient with one another, and love one another. Focus on the example of Christ. This transformed heart will produce a bond of peace in the body. Paul's now going to address the question of why uh, unity is even possible In verse four here, turn with me to verse four. There is now one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. Church, look at me, okay? Look around the room here for a second. Everybody move your head left to right, turn around, do what you gotta do. We are one body. One body, okay? There's not male or female or Jew or Gentile or Greek or Scythian. Like, we're, we're all one body. That one body is united in one spirit. Now, if we look around the room, we all look a little different. Okay? We do. We all look a little different. Some of us are taller. Some of us are shorter. Um, all of us have different different features. All of us have different spiritual gifts. See, the beautiful thing about the body of Christ is that unity doesn't necessarily mean uniformity. We are all given diverse gifts from the Spirit. But here's the great news. It's all the same Spirit. We are one body united in one Spirit. And even though that spirit gives different gifts to each one of us, even though the sacrifice of Christ, what he promised that we would be given power, each one of us is given different gifts here. We are all united because we all have the source of that power inside of us, the Holy Spirit. We just talked about this idea, and we'll finish with it, but why are we all given different gifts? Why aren't we all given the same gifts? Well, it's so that the body can build each other up in love. And we'll end with that today uh, at the the end of our sermon here. But one body and one spirit. He says, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1 here. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 13. Paul writes and says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise and honor of his glory. What is is the call that we are called to? Guys, I'm gonna tell you, it's the inheritance that's waiting for us. When we walk in a manner worthy when we we, um, are called to the one hope, that hope that we're thinking of here is the salvation of our souls. It's the day where we will be face to face with Jesus Christ. It's the inheritance that we will receive. Paul says here in Ephesians, listen, you were given the spirit, which is a guarantee of your inheritance which you will receive in the future guys paul Paul's writing here he's not condemning the Ephesians here he's encouraging them he's saying, listen, if these fruits of the spirit that you're running on are evident in your life, it is proof that someday you will receive your inheritance. This is the hope that we all have that someday the divisions that exist among us the, the pain that we have the tears that we have, the sorrow we have the separation that we have, it'll all be gone because we'll be united in Christ with him, seeing him face to face. Now, for us as believers, there's two ways that that happens. Number one, you die. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. You will receive your inheritance on that day. The second way, is when the Lord returns. Either way, you are going to be united with Christ. Guys, this one body and one spirit here, uh, just as you were called to the hope that belongs to your call here, it screams unity. Paul's saying it's possible to be unified because of the spirit. The spirit binds the body together, but he doesn't stop there. He says, one Lord, verse five, uh, verse five of Ephesians chapter four. Um, I'm going to start back in verse four just because I love this. Uh, There is one body, count with me, one body, one spirit. There's two ones, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is over all, through all, and in all. How many ones do we read there, guys? Seven ones. Guys, I'm going to tell you, Scripture's God-breathed, okay? Numbers matter in the Bible. I'm not here to tell you that there's some, like, secret Bible code that you can figure out with the numbers and figure out when Christ is going to return. I don't believe that. But I do believe to the Hebrew culture and the Hebrew people that God presented in his word certain numbers in, for a reason and for a purpose to create a greater understanding of the scripture here. The number seven here is the idea of wholeness or completeness. I believe what Paul is showing us here is our second point. Go ahead to our second point there. I'll just read it to us. Our second point here. God's plan for the body of Christ is based on unity and completion. You see what Paul does here is he gives us seven different ones. Seven different ones to show us the completeness that unity actually is. And what does he use to do it? He uses the trinity, we see from verses 4 through 10 here, um, we see through verses 4 through, through 6 here, we see that we have uh, one Lord, one God, and then in verse 4 we have, we have one Spirit. The idea that the Father and the Son and the Spirit are in perfect communion. What does Jesus say? Jesus says, listen, I and the Father am one. What Paul is doing here is he's using this idea of the Trinity To show the body that because we are followers of Christ, because we have been reconciled, because he is our head, because we are his body, we should be one with Christ. And therefore, if we are one with Christ, Christ is our great example because he is one with the Father and the Spirit. This is the idea of unity. The idea that when people see us, they should see Christ when people see uh, the body of Christ functioning as it should, they should see Christ. I think it was Gandhi who said, um, somebody was talking to him about Jesus and he says, oh yes, I've I've heard of Jesus. I I like his teachings. I like his teachings very much. He says, his people? Uh, That's kind of what I have a problem with. Guys, that shouldn't be so. If we are the people of God, We should be a reflection of the character of God. When people look at us, they should see love, humility, mercy. Think about how Christ walked on this earth. Think about the fact that he knew every bad thing that everyone did when he met them. Think about specific stories. Think about Zacchaeus, a guy who's extorting people. A you know, big crowd of people, and Jesus walks right up and says, Zacchaeus, I'm going to your house today. Think about the fact that Christ knew every evil intention of his heart, but he still took it upon himself to go to this man in front of a crowd and say, I'm eating with you today. A sinner. The people that, person that everybody hates. I'm going to your house. Guys, the hard attitude, humility. I gotta tell you, church, when people see Christianity in this country, when they think of Christianity, I don't know that love, humility, gentleness, peace, I don't know that that's what they see. I don't know that they see a reflection of, of the Holy Spirit. Um, you know, when I, when I originally took this job, at then uh, Summit Baptist Bible Church, now Hillside Haven Community Church. Um, I had more than one person ask me about who was going to be the senior pastor. Not here, but from outside. And I said, oh, his name is, is Stephen Merck. Oh, I've never heard of him. I said, good. no. I've never heard of him. Oh, tell me about him, da-da-da, this and that, you know. And eventually, it would get to the idea of of age. How old is he? I said, ah, he's like 30-ish. And they're like, well, you're 40. And I'm like, yeah, I'm 40. And they're like, well, you're, you're 10 years older than him. And I was like, so? So what? Never once did it matter to me. Why? Because I knew Stephen's character. I knew Stephen was humble. I knew Stephen wanted what was best for our congregation. I knew that Stephen sought to unify this congregation in a time where, guess what, guys? I know I'm leaving, but I gotta tell you, me leaving is a drop in the bucket compared to what we were going through when I came on. Guys, that humility that your pastor has, has shown over the years, it's, it's rubbed off. I hope it's rubbed off on you. I hope that when you guys run into issues and problems with each other, you're being humble. Even the Son, even Jesus submitted to the Father. Even the Spirit submits and is sent by the Son here. Guys, the the Trinity submits to one another. They live in perfect communion with one another. This is our great example. Think about Jesus. Jesus submitted to the point, he humbled himself to the point where he allowed his creation to kill him. While people were mocking him, saying, oh, he claims to have saved so many others, yet he can't save himself. I got to tell you guys. That's me. I'm like, watch me. Like, you know what I mean? Like I mean, I'm my pride and my my anger they get they get they get but not not Jesus. Jesus humbled himself even though he had great power. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. Why is baptism in here? Why is baptism in this list? We understand one Lord. We understand that we should be united in faith. What is this idea of being united in baptism? Guys, we've we talked about this, and we, we just talked about it in our meeting here. The picture of what we do up here, water baptism is evidence of something that's already occurred. The idea with one baptism, it's the idea that you are publicly professing to be one with Christ that you are publicly professing that you are a follower of Christ and united with him in his suffering. When we go down into the water, it's a picture of his death. When we come up out of the water, it's a picture of his resurrection. We are saying, listen, I have died to myself, yet I am alive in Christ, just as we sung in that song. The union that we can have with Christ. Remember, I said it before, guys, This chasm between God and man was so much greater than the chasm that we can have here between us. Yet God in his plan of completion and unity has done both. Verse six, one father of all who is over all, which means he is completely in control, through all, which means that his plan is is perfect here, and in all, same thing. You cannot separate yourself from the power of God. no man can hide from him. The psalmist writes, "Shall I make my, my bed in heaven you 're there. Shall I make my bed in shehole you 're there there's no getting there 's no hiding from God. Jonah tried it he couldn 't hide from God. He is completely in control of all things. You see guys, the beauty that we see in the in the Trinity, and the unity of the Trinity here is that it's the Father's plan, it's the Son's work, and it's the Spirit's power here that enables us to maintain the unity. Because we look at these examples and we say, Wow, God, thank you for giving us such a great example in Christ. Paul's going to continue on and he's going to to talk about that. Verse seven though, it says, uh, but the grace that was given to each one of us according to the, uh, I'm sorry, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Dr. Sayer was up here earlier. He's talking about a math equation. He's talking about doing all these calories and things like that. I actually do see a math equation here. I'm not a math guy, okay? I'm not a numbers guy. I'm a people guy. But I think what, What Paul is saying here is that the hostility, the disunity that existed between God and man here, that the sacrifice of Christ was sufficient to bridge that gap. All of my sins, past, present, and future, in order to be unified with Christ, were paid for. All of your sins, past, present, and future, were paid for. But I think it also takes it a step further, guys. The measure of that gift is immeasurable because not only has he reconciled us to God, but he's given us power. He's given us gifts. So much, so many gifts, not only if, if the salvation of our souls wasn't enough, so many gifts that he chooses to empower us here on this earth. Don't lose this, guys. We're, we're talking about Acts. We're in the book of Acts. Think about the amount of power that, that God poured out on Pentecost. You read through the entire Old Testament. Read through the Old Testament. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit was given for a time to certain people, and it could be taken away. This is how God operated in the Old Testament as far as the Holy Spirit is concerned. Sometimes it was just a few people on the face of the earth. Sometimes it was just one. On the day of Pentecost, God pours out his spirit on at least 120 individuals all in the same place. And they're sealed. They can't lose it. The power that exists right there is immense. In just a matter of a few months, it balloons to tens of thousands of people, all empowered with the Holy Spirit. Guys, this world was forever changed at that point. The operation of this world was changed. But do we go out, as we learned last week, do we go out with this this power and do we try to sell it? Do we try to uh, elevate ourselves in, in the idea of this power that we can then give this power to other people? No, we do it with humility, with love, bearing with one another. We don't go after people with swords, cutting people's ears off. That's not the power that's included in the Holy Spirit here. We don't tell people, hey, you know what? The more you give us, the more you're going to get. Salvation can be bought. We don't tell people that. No. We say, listen, if you're walking in a manner worthy here, guess where you might wind up? Prison, jail. I've said it to you before, church. Please, please, do not let your circumstances dictate your attitude. Don't let your circumstances dictate your attitude. It's so easy for us to get so short-sighted where problem after problem that comes up in front of us, we're just blinded. I I would seriously encourage you to look at our example in Christ. Look at our example here in Paul. Paul had problem after problem come up in his life, and what does he say? I press on toward the mark, toward the high calling of God. How many of us, when we encounter an issue, encounter a problem here, um, encounter all of of these, these struggles of this world here, how many of us turn around and actually choose joy and say, you know what, God? I've got no idea. I've got no idea why I'm going through this right now. When I made the phone call to Stephen and I was on my lunch break crying like a little baby, Saying, I don't know, man. Like, if I had my way, I'd be here till the day I die. It's hard. It's hard to be happy for those conversations. Um, I know many of your struggles. Some of you are facing conflict in the home. Some of you are facing conflict at work. It's hard in those situations to say, God, why can't my life just be a little easier? Why can't you just make it a little easier? Look at the examples we have in scripture. God can be glorified through our struggles and our pain. The gift, the gifts that he has given us help us get through these hard times. First and foremost, the most difficult Issue that we ever have is have is solved by the gift of God's grace in our life, the salvation of our souls. Secondly, he gives us gifts through the Spirit. He gives us the gifts of, of, of exhortation, of, of service, of, of hospitality, of preaching, of teaching, of of encouragement, just encouraging one another. He gives the body these great gifts so that they may be unified. And they're all characteristics and examples of the Trinity here. Paul is trying to encourage the people here. That God has revealed his plan of unity in himself and his work. Verse 8. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does that mean? That he also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descends is the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. I think these verses here are speaking to a little bit of the character, a lot of it, of the character of Christ. See, Christ left the comfort of heaven. He left the power of heaven to come down to earth to be uncomfortable to suffer for each and every one of us. He humbled himself and left the throne room in order to bring unity between God and man. So when he descended, he also died and then ascended into heaven. Right? We read that in the book of Acts. Jesus didn't stay here. In the book of Acts, they ask him, the apostles, they come to him and they're like, Jesus, now... Like now that you've risen from the dead, like now, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus looks at him and says, not for you to know. I'm not gonna tell you. It's not for you to know right now. What you're to do now is wait for the Spirit and walk in obedience. Obey. Obey the Spirit. Where it leads you, where it takes you. Let it overflow from your heart. Let your heart be changed from this heart of rock into a heart of flesh. Let it transform you. See, when Jesus, what does it say that he descended and he ascended? Jesus himself addresses this. He says, listen, in John chapter 6, which we went over uh, months ago, maybe even a year ago at this point, John chapter 6, Jesus talks about the bread of life. And he says, listen, you guys, he's talking to a group of Jews, and he says, You're you're talking about manna. And you think the manna that descended from heaven was given to you by Moses. It wasn't given to you by Moses. It was given to you by God. And he tells them flat out, I who stand before you right now, and the bread of life that has descended from heaven. Jesus made no mistake. When the psalmist here, this is taken from Psalms uh, chapter uh, 68 here. Uh, when the psalmist is writing, he's talking about the victory that God would have someday. That he would come down in power. And that he would ascend again into heaven and be glorified. See guys, the problem that we have, the problem that the apostles had to, is that we view power the wrong way. The apostles were like, set up the kingdom. Lay the smack down on the world, God. Be the judge that you're supposed to be right now. And Jesus says, listen, when I came the first time, I came in power, but it's not the power you were expecting. I came as the king who willingly laid down my life for people who didn't deserve it. That's the power that I came in. I came here to seek and to save which was lost. I came here to be the servant of all. Guys, when, when the world looks at the body, that's what they should see. Not us. Not us. It says at the end here that he might fill all things. It doesn't say that he would fulfill all things. I know we want to throw that in there because guess what? He did. He did fulfill all things. He re- fulfilled all the requirements of the of the law. Everything that, that God said that he would be in his promises, Jesus completely fulfilled. But listen as the far as the body of Christ is going as as he's going and the gifts that he gives, he is filling up his body with the gifts that they need in order to maintain this unity. He is worthy. He has the power to do this. It's not in and of ourselves here. Our final point here is found um, in the last verses here. And again, guys, uh, this is just an overview. Um, we're going we're gonna to finish up here pretty quickly. Um, we could spend months on just these 16 verses, but we're giving you an overview today. Verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried out by by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, rather speaking the truth in love we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint for which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love this is the point this is why we're we're here guys This is why we exist today. Um, Paul Paul says flat out here. Here's our our third point. Give our third point here. Christ has uniquely gifted certain members to aid in the spiritual growth of his body so that it functions properly. We have to start at the at the beginning of these verses here. And it says he gave apostles and prophets and evangelists and the shepherds and the teachers. There's a lot of uh, controversy about uh, if these, all of these offices are still active today um, and, and if, they, if they are still operating today. Um, here's what I would say. Uh, why did God give the apostles to the church? Well, I believe God gave the apostles to the church because of the two requirements of the apostles. Number one, they had to be called by Jesus, to be an apostle. Number two, they had to have seen Jesus Christ. See, I believe that God specifically gave the apostles to the church so that they would have men that witnessed what Christ did on this earth here and could testify and attest to it. For the beginning of the church, for the starting of this infant system here that was so, so fragile. I believe that the, the, the office of apostle is, has ceased. I don't believe in apostolic secession. I believe, succession, not secession, succession. Um, I believe that, that God gave the apostles for a certain time here. The prophets... This one's a little gray because I've read in several books including this book here that talks about the spiritual gift of being a prophet here. Um, I do think this book does a great job of talking about the idea of, of prophecy. We think of prophecy as future. We think of, oh, they, they predict the future. Okay, That's, that's what, a, what a prophet does. It, it predicts the future. I believe that the prophet receives the word of God and gives it To the people. I believe that's probably the most accurate representation of what a prophet is. I would include the writers of Scripture as prophets. Some of these apostles carried two offices. Paul is one of them. But writing down the words of God for the people of God, speaking the words of God for the people or to the people of God. He's a messenger, he's, a, he's an oracle, he's a mouthpiece of God, or she is a mouthpiece of God. Then we come to the evangelists. I believe this office, or this, not office, I believe this, uh, this uh, category of, of giftingness, this individual here who's gifted, I believe it's still active today. I do believe, though, that all of us at times are called to be and do the work of an evangelist. Paul writes to Timothy and he says, do the work of an evangelist. Well, what does an evangelist do? An evangelist shares the gospel, okay? He doesn't need a tent. He doesn't need a television program, okay? He doesn't need a pulpit. He's someone that goes out, here. she is someone who goes out and shares the word of God with people. And they're gifted that way. I believe we have evangelists in our midst right now. I believe that Stephen Page is an evangelist. I believe he's a good example of an evangelist among us. And that's not to elevate Stephen Page. That's just to say that God has uniquely gifted him that way. He routinely is sharing his faith with the people that he comes in contact with. All of us should be encouraged by that. That the body is functioning in a way that it should. That it's being encouraged by these gifts. The shepherds and teachers. I, I guess I can say this now, guys. Guys. That I'm leaving and not feel self-serving in this. Your shepherds and teachers, your evangelists, they're gifts. They're gifts that God gave the body. Not just the gift of salvation, not just the spiritual gifts that the Holy Spirit gives, but these callings in these people's lives They're gifts to you. How are they gifts? Did we already talk about our last point here? I'm so lost in the sauce. I'm stuck behind a meatball. Um, Christ has uniquely gifted certain members to aid in the spiritual growth of his body so that it functions properly. These are all gifts that God has given so that we can maintain the body of Christ so that really he can maintain the body of Christ. But all of these gifts are given by God. What do the shepherds and the teachers do among you here? Well, let's continue reading here. To equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, verse 12, until we all attain the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. To mature manhood, to the measure and the stature of the fullness of Christ. I want to stop there, guys. To equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. Here is my final charge to you as a pastor. If you're not using the gifts that God has given you inside this body, if you're just coming on Sundays, if you're just absorbing and absorbing and absorbing here, if you're not serving one another, if you're not performing the maintenance that's required, maintenance is going to require time, it's going to require effort, It may even cost you money. If you're not investing in one another here, you guys are robbing each other. You're robbing, you're quenching the spirit. This is what Paul writes about when he talks about quenching the spirit. The body is not getting what it needs. Get out of your seat. Use the gifts that God's given you. If you don't know Christ here today, if this is all new to you, This is all brand new. We'll go back and we'll talk about the fact that that God has reconciled us to himself. This is the power of Christ. This is the power of the blood that we can be reconciled to God. That that man was once separated in his sin, that God is our our righteous creator. Man chose to, to, to sin against God, to disobey, and that sin separated us from God. And God said, listen, you're going to die and if you die in your sin, you are dead. Eternally separated from me. But God didn't leave us there. He said, I will send I will send one who will redeem you. Who will redeem you from your sins. Who can reconcile you to this righteous God. And that individual who comes will be righteousness. He will live a perfect life and be the perfect sacrifice for your sins. This is the greatest gift that God gave us, reconciliation to him, that if we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that that sacrifice, that the Messiah, the anointed one, came, that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the Lord, we will be saved. If you don't know Christ, make today the the day that you decide to follow him. If your life is just messed up, you're in turmoil, you're going from problem after problem, I'm not saying every problem will be solved, but you'll have a direction. You'll have a body of believers who if they are using their gifts, they'll be able to encourage you. You won't be alone in this world. You'll have the spirit inside of you. Jesus says, I'm not abandoning you. I will send my spirit, the comforter, the one who will give you power. to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain the unity of faith, of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure and the stature of the fullness of Christ. Like I said before, guys, when the world sees us, they should see Christ, who is the head. We should be an accurate reflection. The same thing is that if you guys were to watch this today and you would see all of my idiosyncrasies where i'm standing here like this and i'm you know running around but you didn't see my head you would still know it was me it's the same thing with christ okay because i'm too tall right we didn't raise the camera so it's just here right but it's the same thing with christ that the body should be a reflection of the head What's the other option if we don't do this? If we don't maintain the unity? If we're not being built up into the fullness of Christ? What's the other option? That we no longer may be children tossed to and fro and carried by every wave of doctrine, by human cunning, by deceitfulness, uh, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Guys, I'm gonna be honest with you. The other option is to remain a child. Remain a child. I don't want you to do that. Paul doesn't want you to do that. But the truth is that if the body is not being maintained in unity, if we are not displaying the fruits of the Spirit to one another, if we're not using our spiritual gifts to build up the body spiritually here, if we are not thankful for the gifts that God has given us, and we are scorning them, if we're just treating them like trash, that's what kids do. How many times... Cindy, how many times over the years did you have to tell Steven and, and his siblings to, to put away their toys? Countless, right? They leave them everywhere. I love my daughter, Ryan. Every day she comes home from school though, it's like Charlie Brown. Like the coat goes here, the, the shoes are everywhere. Like you've seen him on the pitcher's mound when the ball comes back and all of a sudden all of his clothes are all over the place. That's, that's my daughter. I'm like, listen, respect what we bought for you. Like don't treat it like, like garbage. That's what children do. They don't understand. The other thing that children do is they're very easily manipulated. They're very easily manipulated. They don't have a firm grasp on what they've been given. What Paul is saying here, remain firm in the head. If you're not firm in the head, in Jesus If you're not firm in in the one who has given you these gifts here, you're completely unstable. You're going to be tossed to and fro. Now, what is this verse not saying? It's not saying that your life and the circumstances of your life are going to be completely stable. The circumstances of your life could be completely unstable. Again, look at Jesus, look at Paul. What does Jesus say? Foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay His head. I don't know if you get more unstable than being homeless. What does Paul say? I've been shipwrecked. I've been naked. I've been hungry. I've been thirsty. All this, are, He's in prison. Unstable. What is he stable in? Christ. In the head. See those of us who are unstable children. We're constantly tossed. We're tossed between the truth of scripture and the ideas of this world, the circumstances of this world, the problems of this world, how this world solves problems. We are constantly thrown back and forth. And it's obvious when you see it. Do not remain a child. Use the gifts that God has given you to encourage one another. Do not leave each other alone here. Verse 15, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head of Christ. Guys, this is key. Speak the truth in love. Please speak the truth in love. When we see somebody who is struggling and hurting, it is so easy for us to do a few things and say, God, thank you that that's not me, or judge them for it. Well, that's because they did X, Y, and Z. And then we step back and we we fold our arms. Body of Christ, we shouldn't do that. We need to speak the truth in love. Why? Because we truly want this person to be secure in him who is the head, being built up in every way into Christ. Verse 16, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working together, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Guys, when you come here, do you feel love? That's, that's my question. And if you don't, please do not look at everyone else first, okay? Take the log out of your own eye, all right? Um, Again, I love you guys to death. I feel love here. I know there's probably people here who don't feel love, okay? It's easy to be that person, though, who sits there with their arms folded and say, nobody loves me here. Nobody likes me. Uh." You know what? You don't need other people to love you in order to love them. That's what Jesus says. Love those who hate you. Love your enemies. Guys, your circumstances, ideas of this world, schemes of this world, they're going to try to throw you off balance. We need to stay in the head. We need to stay in the body. So my last question to you guys today is: your pastor how are you using the gifts that God's given you? The gift of salvation. Are you sharing your faith with people? When you approach someone, I'm going I'm to confess to you guys today. I went to Starbucks this morning. I'll confess to my wife. I went to Starbucks this morning. I overheard a woman talking and told her about a book. And I didn't think about it until after she left. I should have told her about the right book. And I didn't. Are you sharing your faith? Are you presenting Christ to people? When people see you, are they seeing Christ? Are you vocalizing your faith? The gifts of the Spirit. Guys, are we, are we using, do we know how God has gifted us? Are we still sitting there saying, I don't know. Listen, this is a good start. Okay, it's a good start. This will explain to you what the gifts of the Spirit are and how you can discover them. It's a tool though. You actually have to use it after you discover what they are. And finally, do we appreciate the people that God has uniquely gifted in our lives to help build up this body here? Guys, we're talking about elders. We're talking about getting more elders. Um, Here's my, I keep saying my final encouragement. Uh, My final encouragement to you is this. The men that that Pastor Stephen and the deacons, the leadership of this church, raise up to be your next elders, I want you guys to look at them as gifts. I want you guys to love them as much as you loved me. As much as you love this guy. They're gifts. I want you to humble yourself before them. And guess what, guys? First and foremost, this man taught me this. First and foremost, they're members of this church. Okay, They're fallible members of this church here. They're going to mess up. It's easy to look at them when they mess up and say, you know what, we're discounting everything. And they may not mess up in a big way in your life. They may have missed something, forgotten about something. They may not be doing something that you think they should be doing and therefore messed up in your mind. Here's how I'm going to ask you to respond to them. Read Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 3. Humbleness, gentleness, bearing with one another in love. Maintaining the bond of of unity and peace. Guys, go back to the basics to maintain unity. The body of Christ needs to be maintained. It runs on the gifts of the spirit. God has given us a perfect plan of what unity looks like and he's also gifted us with unique individuals that are here to serve us and help the body be built up in Christ. This is Ephesians chapter four, verses one through 16. Let's pray.